Well, episode 29, we are here, and we are about to start. It is Raymond Moore here on Slam City. I'll be joined by Mr. Mech in a couple of minutes. And, of course, we can talk about the Knicks. We talk about NFL Division Round Weekend. I mean, we have a lot to discuss. So it's just so much stuff happening in sports where. But, I wanted to uh, share everybody here an uh, interview I did this week, actually, with celebrity cook uh, Dana Falk. You can follow her at the Hungry Fan on Twitter. Check it out right now. But, but Tommy, you, you, you grew up, you grew up around your father, uh, David Falk. You know, he was a super agent at the time. Uh, you know, back in nineties and eighties and nineties. What was that like? Yeah. So actually, you know, my dad, my dad has represented some of the most marquee players for, for decades. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. I think like the nineties were probably his heyday. Um, he actually represented, um, some really exceptional tennis players and, and other athletic, basketball players in the seventies. He's still active. He has clients, uh, today. In fact, we were just at the Wizards game last night, sitting on the floor, watching his, uh, his client Otto Porter win. The Wizards beat the Bulls. So that was exciting. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really growing up in this house. It's shaped my um, a lot of my interests and really made me a huge sports fan and and really educated me a lot. I mean, I, I've had a really unique opportunity, you know, different from probably most people in this country, to gain an understanding of sports and game day from the perspective of these athletes and really understanding what what game day is beyond just the fan experience. But with that being said, you know, my, my favorite part of game day is is the fan experience, and I'm a huge sports fan myself. Did you meet a lot of athletes at the time when he, when he represented players like Michael Jordan? Yeah, I mean, he's had he's had a lot of a lot of clients. It's interesting. Did you always love food as a child growing up? Yes. What was your favorite dish and why? Um, I, I think that's really hard to answer. Um, you know, I think I just really, I really enjoy food. I'm a very creative person and an artistic person. And I think one of the ways that people can sort of express their interest and, and enjoyment, um, creativity with food with, or cre- I should say in create of creativity, like their way to express creativity can be with food, um, you know, my mom, my mom loves Parmesan cheese. Like, that's probably one of her favorite foods. I think if she could just eat Parmesan cheese for the rest of her life and only Parmesan cheese, she'd probably be very happy with that. And, I love, I love and, uh, Yeah. And so we, you know, she, we have a lot of Parmesan cheese. We had a lot of Parmesan cheese when I was growing up uh, in the fridge, and you have, like, the big chunks of it. And then she also had the that green bottle of Kraft mac and cheese. Yeah. And, um you know, I, I, it was always my job to set the table for dinner as a kid growing up. And so, you know, I remember I remember when I was really young, I looked at the side of the bottle, that green bottle of Kraft mac and cheese, and there was a recipe for Caesar salad. And I, I think at the time, like, I pretty I was probably really, like, maybe, like, five or six years old. I knew how to make eggs um, so that, like, if on the weekends my parents were still sleeping, I could at least make myself something for breakfast. Um, but I remember looking at the side of that Kraft mac and cheese bottle and being like, hmm, Caesar salad. I like Caesar salad. Maybe I should try this. And that was really, like, the first recipe that I perfected. Like, I started with theirs, the one that was on the side of the Kraft bottle, and then I started, like, tinkering and really, like, adding things in and taking things out and making it my own. And that was, like, my first serious, like, culinary exploration <laughs> thanks to Kraft. That's interesting. So, so tell me this then. Why do you believe that, that food is an important cultural component of a sports spectator experience everywhere in the world? I, I don't necessarily think it's it's I think it's everywhere in the world to some degree. I think it's a really very specific American thing. Um you know, if you've I've traveled around the world, I've I've lived in different countries and Americans are very unique in that we tailgate. You don't really see that in a lot of other places. Now, you'll see sports bars. People will watch games in sports bars. And I think drinking is very um, closely aligned with sports around the world. I think no matter where you go, you'll always see, you know, alcoholic beverages. But particular to the United States, 
tailgating and home gating or collectively I call them fan gating, it's it's something that we very uniquely do. Um it, it it is a gigantic part of the experience. And if you even just look at, you know, American consumer spending habits and by consumer, you know, I call them fan consumers, like sports fans who are consumers, you know, we spend just for, for tailgating, not including the people at home, we spend thirty five billion with a B dollars a year on food and drink products for tailgating. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. That's like yeah. you know larger, like larger than the GDP of some countries. And that's just what we spend on food and drinks for tailgating. So you know, eighty percent of America tailgates every year, and we spend a fortune on food and drink. And I think it's really hard to ignore those numbers. It's like really excellent evidence that this is something that's really significant for us. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, you turn to see a lot of people when they go to games and they do all that. Like, if you put in the the money to, to make sure it's, it's great for the family and friends. Yeah, I mean, and if you think about it, so there's a real, another really interesting statistic, and, and these a lot of these statistics, like, you know, like I found them, like, with CNN.com and Forbes and also um, the National Tailgating Industry Association. So, like, I'm not making them up. They've published numbers. You know, one of the things that you can find if you do research on this is that 35% of all tailgaters never leave the parking lot. So wow. you have a lot of people going to the game, and, you know, of everybody in the parking lot before the game, only 65%, well, I shouldn't say only, but 65% of them will go into the game, and 35% stay back. And they stay in the parking lot. A lot of them, you know, they bring their TVs to the parking lot, and they they watch the game there. And... For me, I like I love those people. Like I am, the, I've I've been those people. I went to a bunch of Giants games. You know, I live in New York. Went to a bunch of Giants games last season, and not once did I go into MetLife Stadium. Um, and I think that there's a lot of reasons for why people do that. You know, I think ticket prices are really high. If you have like a family of four, it's very hard to afford to take everybody into the game. But the price of a parking space is pretty affordable, right? And yeah. there's still the experience. You know, you're you're sitting just outside the stadium. You can still hear everybody. You know, you're watching the game on your TV, and you can hear the roar of the crowd. You can hear them cheering. You can hear them booing. It's basically like being there, and it keeps you, and I think the most important thing about it is it really keeps you connected. I think being connected is everything as a sports fan. You want to feel connected to your team. You want to feel connected to what's happening on the field or on the court um, or on track. And and being in the parking lot and having that, that social experience with your fellow fans before the game and even during the game is everything. Definitely is, and, and certainly an experience that they won't forget for a long time. Um, right. Can, can you tell me more of what is fan gating specifically? You, you know that sports has a big business, and, and it looks like, and you have an industry now called fan gating. What is that? So I think if you look at how people consume sports, you know, we, we talk about tailgating a lot. It, it's it's like a huge buzzword. But tailgating is very specific. It only means the fans in the parking lot. It doesn't mean the fans anywhere else. But fans also watch the game at home. They throw watch parties. And they watch the games at sports bars as well. Yeah. And so, but for me, there wasn't, there didn't exist prior to the word fangating, which I coined, there wasn't a word that captured all of these people who were connected to the game in places other than the parking lot or the stadium. And so I created the word fangating to capture the people in the parking lot, the people at home, and the people in the sports bars who are all just as connected as the people in the stadium. That's good. And, you know, I think uh, if you look at it, probably in a certain couple of years, people are probably going to use that term more often. Do you agree with that? I hope so. I hope so. I, you know, I, it's you, know, you trademark a word. You know, if you call my lawyer, he'd be like, "Don't say that." Like, if, if people start to use the word more often, you can't enforce your trademark. And I said to him when this all, when I first trademarked the word, I said, "Steve, his name is Steve." I said, "Steve, you know, I hope that this word. I hope if I'm successful, this word will become like Xerox. It'll become rollerblades. It'll become Kleenex." It's a word that's actually like a, like it's a proper noun that's become so widely used. It's become ingrained into American jargon that it's literally no longer enforceable according to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. 
If I'm successful, that's what happens. Yeah, that's the goal. So, I, I, you know, I had a, I saw an interesting uh, fact about you, and one of them was that uh, you lost 50 pounds eating healthy. I, I was that experience because for me personally, I've lost 50 pounds when I was a child as well, eating healthy and yeah. working out. And, uh, you know, I, I, I use that experience every time uh, if I'm motivated to do something other than, you know, uh, weight loss, but specifically for my career or anything. But how was that experience for you? Well, first of all, congratulations. Um, Thank you. You know, yeah, you're welcome. Um, uh, I thought, I think that, first of all, as you know, as a female, like, you know, being more svelte, if you will, is always good for one's confidence, and probably for men too, but, you know, females, I think it's always a little bit harder for girls. Um, but, you know, it really, I had taken nutrition. I took nutrition in high school. I took nutrition in college. I studied nutrition a lot. Um, and I feel like losing that weight was really good exercise and practicing everything that I had learned. Um, and, you know, it became, a lot of people said, well, how do you reconcile, like, your new healthy eating lifestyle, like how you eat and the changes in your diet that you've made with game day food? Game day food is seemingly inherently unhealthy. And I said, you know, like, it's really not that hard. There's two ways to look at it. One, you can make certain substitutions in your game day recipes to make it healthier, like taking out sour cream and putting in Greek yogurt, like low-fat Greek yogurt, for example, or taking out lettuce, which is, like, 99-point-some percentage water, which is, like, no – like, iceberg lettuce has no nutritional value whatsoever. It's basically just, like, eating water and putting in, like, baby spinach, which is packed with antioxidants and minerals and vitamins. Like, those are really easy things that you can do that automatically make your recipes healthier. Or you can approach it from the perspective of moderation and balance. If you eat a really healthy diet six days a week, you should allow yourself to have a, quote-unquote, cheat day. And for me, my cheat day is game day. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to go have 14 hamburgers. However... If I want to eat a hamburger, if I want to have a cheeseburger with bacon on it, I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it. But I'm going to go back to eating healthy and sensibly the rest of the days during the week. And for me, and I think for a lot of fans in America, particularly as Americans have demonstrated a you know, augmented sensitivity to being healthy in the last couple of years, I think the idea of being able to to combine sports and watching sports, which is a passion and something that brings people together with enjoying fun, yummy food, which also brings people together, is a really fun and social way to spend your weekend. And I think you should. Uh, when you enjoy, when you eat healthy throughout the week, you should, you know, at the end, deserve yourself to have a cheat day where you can eat whatever you want. And I think it's good for allowing, you know, just because you love your favorite food, but also for the body. Right. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that my nutrition professor said, and I'll never forget it because I thought it was really sensible, is she said, you know, people who are slightly overweight, not obese, not morbidly obese, but slightly overweight, live longer on average than people who are very thin. And she said, do you want to know why? And I said, sure, yes, of course, why, why? Like, why is a little extra pinch to the inch okay? And she said, because stress, will kill you. And if you're constantly stressing over what you're putting into your body and the food that you're eating and you're stressing over calories and calorie counting, if you're doing all those things, those are very stressful things to the body and stress will actually lead to other health problems. So she said, let yourself have a day where you let it go, not like horribly let it go. You know, like I said, don't go eat 14 hamburgers, but let it go a little bit. Enjoy yourself. Form a a healthy relationship with food where it can be fuel for your body but also something that you can enjoy and it will decrease the stress level that you create around food and allow you to live a healthier life. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. Um, tell me more about your cookbook. It's called Hungry Fans Game Day Cookbook. Why did you write this book and how does that help for fans that want to cook something, I would say, uh uh, I, well, I would say healthy and basically it's good to eat. 
Yes, yeah, so the, the cookbook is 165 recipes for game day, 40 of wow. which I collected from professional athletes and Olympians. And there is a healthy blend. There's it, really, it's not a healthy game day cookbook. That's not to say that there aren't healthy recipes in there. There are. And throughout the cookbook, I've put little asterisks where I'll put a note about how you could substitute something in for this particular ingredient, for example, to make it healthier. Um, but really, it was born out of the fact that I have I've been doing this for a long time, and I get very active on social media, and I get a lot of messages from from fans and from sports fans um, saying things like, you know, hey, Dana, uh, you know, I make an amazing chili, and I've made this chili every Saturday for the last 15 years for my tailgate, and it's amazing, and it's the best chili you'll ever eat. But my friends are so sick of my chili. <laughs> That's all I ever make. Like, can you help me? And you know, I think I think part I, because because food is such an integral part of the sports fan experience here in this country, whether you're at home in the parking lot or even at a sports bar, like for fan dating, I think that having a wide variety of really yummy, mm-hmm. sumptuous food to enjoy really augments the experience, and that's what I hope this book provides for people. You think this book, uh, I will say, you think this book in the future will be something that people maybe want to see more of your work, possibly? Maybe you're writing another cookbook, or is this, is this the only cookbook you're gonna write? Oh no, I hope I hope to I hope that this is the first of many. You know, there's actually way more than 165 recipes put together for this book, but um, we had to we had to ask a bunch of them just for links purposes. So. Um, there's already a bunch in the can, and and I'm constantly, constantly uh, creating new recipes. I'm currently doing a promotion, or not a promotion, but a partnership with ATB grocery stores in in Houston, actually. Um, and I've I've done a couple of Facebook lives for them. I've got a couple coming up this month of yummy recipes for game day with some of the ATB Totally Texas products. So you know, I do a lot of this throughout the year, and you know, even once football season's over, that's not to say we're done. You know, tailgating is something that takes place year-round. Once once football ends, NASCAR begins. And NASCAR is another great tailgating sport. And a lot of people tailgate for baseball, too. And, you know, baseball kicks off this spring. Um, so there's a lot of fun game days coming up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not just football. It's other sports as well. Um, tell me what is Hungry Fan and, and what are your goals for that? Hungry Fan is my brand. And it is meant it is meant to be it is a brand that curates game day for sports fans, um, helping them again like food recipes. Um, I provide picks for my favorite game day gear, gadgets, products. Uh, I a lot of times on the website you'll see um, content uh, revolving around. You know, if you're traveling to a city, like, for example, if you're going to Houston for the Super Bowl, um, my picks for great places to hit while you're in Houston to have a fun a fun experience as a sports fan. So, like, highly curated lists for, you know, sports bars to go to, restaurants to try. Um, and on the website, you'll also see a tab for something called Sports Bar Radar, yeah. um, which is an, another thing I've trademarked, which is my picks, very similar to, like, Foursquare and Yelp, but highly curated my picks for the top sports bars in every major professional franchise city in North America. So if you're going to Pittsburgh or Houston or Edmonton or Sacramento, where you should go if you want to hit a great sports bar and a variety of sports bars from, you know, like dive bars to Twinkie bars to, you know, bars that serve, you know, tacos to new mm-hmm. American food, you know, a, a variety of places. Yeah. For the discerning traveling sports fan. Well, why do you think people didn't know about this and specifically on buying the best sports bars? Because, you know, you have Yelp and you have Foursquare, but, but there's never really been specifically only on sports itself. Why do you think that some people haven't invented something like that that you have? You know, I, I think really what it comes down to is really just the general value proposition that I offer overall. I am an expert. I've grown up around this 
this is literally what I know best. I've been around sports since even before I was born. I was in my mom's stomach traveling with my mom and dad and Team USA basketball on an exhibition tour. Like, I have been doing this my whole life. And, you know, in, in a lot of different, uh, I don't want to say industries, but, like, different lifestyle approaches, there are experts. You know, there's, like, the Martha Stewart for a certain kind of demographic and people like her. I am that for sports fans. And so... You know, it's not that it hasn't been done necessarily. It hasn't, but I think that's because there wasn't someone like me. And when I set out to be this person years ago, it was because I recognized that the sports fan audience was lacking that expert voice, that authority figure. And because it's so genuine to who I am and what I know, I wanted to be that person, and I've now become that person. And that's good. That's good for you. I Certainly, you, your brand is growing, and it's probably going to be up. It's going to be up there for sure in a couple of years. Give me the essential steps on having a successful tailgate. Sorry, give you what? Give me the successful step. Give me the essential steps of having a successful tailgate. Oh sure. I mean, I think it. I think it varies in some respects for who you are and what you're interested in, and especially you know what time of year it is. Um, yeah you know, cold weather tailgating versus warm weather tailgating. But, you know, I think, first of all, I always like to suggest that people have at least two major recipes. Like, there's always, like, snacks and, like, things, little side things, like noshes. But I always like to have two main dishes that people can enjoy, Um, one for the home team and one for the away team. Even if you're, like, a diehard, you know, fan of your home team, my favorite thing to do is to celebrate the food cultures of the different hometowns. And if you're only ever making the food from your hometown, you're only ever getting one kind of flavor. So I like to, in order to make the tailgate, you know, interesting and different week to week to week, it's fun to utilize the visiting team's, like, food culture, if you will, um, to mix it up a little bit. So definitely mix it up. Um, at least two major recipes, like, for, you know, entrees, if you will, for people to eat and enjoy. Um, Always, always, always remember to, you know, if you're outside uh, in the parking lot, especially when it's warm, sunscreen, you know, the sun just reflects, refracts, I should say, off the the asphalt and can burn the poop out of you, basically, if you're not careful. And people always forget that. And I'm like, don't forget your sunscreen. If you don't want to get sunburned and then be sitting either outside in the parking lot during the game or in the stadium uncomfortable and hot, um, it's just so uncomfortable. Like, just remember to protect, you know, wear proper gear, basically. Wear proper gear. Remember your sunscreen. Um, whatever amount of product you think you need to feed everybody, you're probably um, under under uh, uh, lowballing it, if you will. So I always say, like, whatever you think you need, add just a little bit more. And what's the worst thing that happens? You have leftovers, you take them home, and you get to enjoy them later in the week. Yeah, exactly. Um, and... Uh, what else can I tell you? Um, you know, I really am a big fan of utilizing things like Venmo and PayPal because tailgating can be really expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's it's only fair for everybody who sh- shows up to the tailgate to split the cost of, of putting this tailgate together. There's usually one person who does almost all of the cooking, and they shouldn't also be responsible for paying for everybody's food and beverage. So um, I really like to tell people, like, don't be afraid to divvy. Like if you're if you're putting on the tailgate, don't be afraid to ask your friends to help contribute. And you know it doesn't have to be with cash. Like you can use um, platforms like PayPal and Venmo to use your bank accounts, your credit cards, because it's easier. Yeah, there's so many there's so many options. And thank you for those steps. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this will definitely understand that what they have a a, a really solid uh, tailgating experience. Tell me more about your website, Hungry Fan. What is? How did you come up with that idea? Well, like I said, Hungry Fan is really born out of the experience that I had growing up. Um, like I, I said earlier, you know, being around sports from a very, very young age and growing to love it. Yeah. Um, but really being a sports fan and, you know, having that create, for me, a love for sports as a fan. Like, I'm not a professional athlete, so... The next best thing is to be a sports fan. Um, and, and so I wanted to create a, a brand like by, from a fan, which I am, for fans. 
Yeah. Um, and like I said, you know, I really genuinely feel, given my background and my passion, that that I know this. I know this inside and and out. You know, forwards and backwards. Um, and I I'm an expert. I this is what I genuinely know. Um, so I wanted to create this for for fans to help them to have a better game day. Yeah, and, so, and certainly people people are going to visit that website a lot as well. Um, so then let me um, ask you this last question. Do you believe this is your greatest achievement? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I think it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think that there's still, still got a ways to go. I've been growing my, my product offerings. I've got a yummy line of spice blends that can flavor your game day food, and I've got a bag that's like a, basically like a thermal bag that can help slow cook food or keep it cold. You know, I hope to grow my product offerings. I, I started working with a lot of brands, and I hope to grow uh, that as well, partnerships. Um, you know, I think it's great. It's great as a solopreneur and as a female to have gotten this off the ground and to have had um, to be accepted by my peers, my sports fan peers. Um, very, very proud of that. I still feel like there's a way. There's a way to go. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm a big, big dreamer. I got you know, big, big goals. So there's, there's always room for improvement. And there's always, there's always room to grow. And that was Dana Falk, ladies and gentlemen, celebrity cook. You can follow her at the Hungry Fan on Twitter. You know, she says some interesting stuff in the interview about uh, herself working. You know, her dad, who was a big time super agent, and also her her uh, love for food and you know sports and overall. I mean, you you seeing fan gating now that she described it. It's exploding right now, and people want to have that tailgating experience. But, you know, you should check it out. If anything else, check out her cookbook as well. And Mr. Max in the house right now, ladies yes, and gentlemen. Yes, he is. What's happening, man? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Are, are, we, are we done with Happy New Year? It's, I, I don't know. I don't like know. digits. That means the 13th. Well, today's January 13th. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. It's, it's, it, Friday the 13th. Are we done here or what are we, what are we doing? Uh, I think I think when it comes to like the third week, I think we're done. I think the first two weeks that you could say Happy New Year, but after that, I think it's over. Yeah, when you, I, I get that you haven't seen anybody since the New Year, so you feel yeah. obligated to wish them Happy New exactly, Year. Exactly. Yeah. I, we got to figure out where, where we draw the line here. Cause if I see you in February, I'm not saying Happy New Year. Yeah, just like, hey, what's up? Yeah, hey, <laughs> how you doing, bro? I'll ask you how your New Year was. But I don't know. I think we can let that go. Yeah, definitely let that go. But we certainly can't let go of the disaster of the Knicks, even though they won yesterday. But listen, man, this whole week was 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 awful and sad, and and I was just frustrated because this team is not good overall. The pieces don't fit, and unless they figure it out, and their defense somehow becomes the second coming of of the uh, the ninety uh, teams right there, the Knicks, they're not going anywhere. I think. One of our main problems, we, we have pieces. First of all, I think we have a very competent bench that doesn't get a lot of run. I think they need yeah. more run. That's number one. Number two, I think I think we have pieces that are underperforming. For instance, Melo can't guard the three. Yeah, at all. KP can't guard the three. The four, the four. Three. Well, you can't. No, the three. Anybody, well, three and four, yeah. Because the big men are shooting threes. Yeah, yeah, he can't. He, he's not out there. Yeah. Contesting those shots at all, he's so worried about the rim. Yeah, he's leaving wide open threes. So two of our main scorers can't guard the three. And Rose can't really guard either. I mean, he can score twenty five points, but if you're a minus twenty one, but he wasn't against seventy six, it doesn't mean anything if you score twenty five points. At least Rose can chase you off the three point line. That's he's true. Fast enough to get out to you the way you can't risk the shot. He can get out there, so then you got to take it inside. Mm-hmm. So now it's mid range to the hole. The problem is Noah can't stop a nosebleed. <laughs> yeah, like, that's when he's in banged up. Right, shoulder injury. This is what I mean by underperforming. Like you know, you have Noah, who on paper looks great, but every position scores on him. No one's scared to go down there. Every position can can get two points off of Noah. Um, if you're shooting a three, Melo is useless. Like if you got a three point shot in you, Melo's not a threat. He's not going to be to you fast enough that he can yeah. block your shot. Brandon Jennings who plays defense and is on the ball, is no threat to score. We've seen him At pass all. up wide open layups just so he can kick it out. It's like he wants the assist more than he wants the points. Or he'll throw up some 
some retarded brick shot as opposed <laughs> to going in and getting something regular. Uh, your man Thomas, for some reason, is a competent enough shooter when he's open, but when he tries to take somebody off the dribble and wings up this <laughs> ri- these ridiculous-looking behind-the-back, behind-the-over-the-head floaters, floaters that go no, they, and they all look like, why didn't you pass? All of your shots, <laughs> all of his shots look like you should have passed that. So we, but poor but, man's the Kawhi Leonard or, or no, he's a homeless he's, man. He's a homeless man. Oh, Kawhi man, Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> Not poor. You got to take poor back. Poor is still has some dignity to it. This dude is asking for change on the freeway. <laughs> we have all these pieces, man, that are underperforming. In so many ways. In so many different ways. That. Here's, here's here's my problem. If it was one or two of them underperforming in these ways, we'd still be a pretty decent team. Yeah. We'd still be beating the teams we were supposed to. We wouldn't be losing the freaking Philly. Or Pelicans, for all we know, Pelicans. at home. Like, we, we'd still be able to maintain. But when they're all dysfunctional at the same time, it makes for a sucky team because on paper, the Knicks are not a bad squad. Former MVP... Scoring yeah. champions, like defensive, defensive player, player of the year. Yeah. Like on paper, we have a Kuzminskis who's who does his thing, who balls. Yeah. Will Herman Gomez, like on paper, we have a good solid unit. But the deficiencies that everybody seems to be going through at once. Melo stopping the ball. Jennings is no threat to score. Uh Noah can't stop anybody. Porzingis seems to be injury prone. Yeah. Melo can't stop a three. And like all these things together, Jennings won't take a shot. Uh, our two guard won't take a shot. Like he, but then you watched the game last night. You watched them against Chicago. Yeah, banged up Chicago too. Whole different team though. Yep. Whole different team. All of a sudden, Melo was at the four. And he's unstoppable. Because that's what he should be. I agree. That means there's no other position. He can't play small four anymore in his career anymore. He has to play the power four position. And maybe sometimes center of anything if they go really, really small. But I'm saying, like, he really is a power four right now because he can at least shoot over big men. He could drive on them because he's strong enough. And he could kick it out of somebody who's cutting to the basket and getting an easy layup because they're quicker. Which is what Kuzminskis is yeah. brilliant at. That cutting to the basket thing. He's, he's got that on Smash. I do want to talk about one more thing, though, before we get into the whole uh, what, what they do next and the win, of course, yesterday. This whole Derrick Rose thing on Monday where he just disappeared out of nowhere. That was freakish because I felt, at first I was thought I was everything was okay. And then which is, he, then the sec, uh, next day you hear about he was with a family thing and went to Chicago. But listen, man, it, if, if you have a boss, you got to let them know that you're going somewhere about just disappearing like that. I mean, of all we know, he's not getting fired, but he did get fined. But I'm right. saying, like, in the real world, he probably got fired because you didn't say anything. Suspended. Or suspended, yeah. yeah. You get laid off. Oh, yeah. They, they, I don't know any job where you can do that. Just, I know a job where I, I can see a scenario where you're on the way to Chicago and you make the call, listen, something just happened with my mom. I got to go. Yeah, he didn't even do that, though. And everybody says, I understand. Let me know what's happening. And then you go back to the team and say, hey, listen, man, uh, something's up with Derek's mom. We're going to win this one for him. Or, you know what I mean? Or, or yeah. something. Like, you just let them know. Instead, they're wondering if you're alive or dead. Yeah, I know. And th- and also, one thing. If he was in the airport, then what if somebody say something, like, on Twitter and be like, yeah, is Derek Rose in the airport? In the airport. <laughs> I know. Like, what? I'm surprised no one said anything on Twitter. Instead of saying, where is he? Where is he? And I'm Should trying to take a picture. Garden? Is that Derek Rose? I know. I think Derrick Rose is going through bag check, but I don't know. I also don't know if he flew private jet. Right, probably. Yeah, like, like, if it's his mom, I, I don't think he waited. For yeah, a plane to leave. Or he took up. Yeah, but still, you got you got at least alert the team. I mean, you know that looked dysfunctional. It looked like. Like the whole the whole season round for the Knicks has been like a up and down thing because you have Phil Jackson comments and then and then disrupted the whole chemistry. Then you have Mel taking these ISO shots and Jeff Hornacek looking in the back of the video like he's like disgusted by the play that Mello did. Right. And you had Derrick Rose thing and then you up to this po- point right now where you won the game and you seem like well they maybe they figure it out maybe they not we'll see what happens in the next game because for all we know I I, I think it's time for Porzingis to come off the bench. That's just me. Or you can sit Noah and start Porzingis at center. You know, one of those two. I'm not. I don't know if I don't know if Porzingis can handle. He's already seems a little frail. 
I yeah. don't know if he can handle getting like elbowed in the ribs and in the gut by some of these dudes down there. Like if if I had to put him in center position and Boogie Cousins is coming, yeah, like he's gonna get killed. Well, over. most of the centers are gonna get killed. That yeah, I mean exactly my point. But still, he got he they gotta figure this out because if they start him at power four and they put him out at three, they're gonna be liable on defense and then it's gonna be the same thing all over again. I, I like Melo with the four. Yeah. I'm not mad at KP off the bench. It seems like he may need the rest anyway. Yeah. Maybe he's not built for you know those minutes right now. Let his body build up a little bit. And you know Lance Thomas, I think at the three, you know this as another Coos. extra defender or but well, extra defender with Lance Thomas when he's playing defense, he's actually pretty good. And yeah, Courtney Lee. the hell out of somebody. Yeah, yeah. Him To the line, nonstop, <laughs> over and over and over again, like he did in the Philly. What game was that? Was it Philly or the Pelicans? I think it was both of them. We just kept fouling. We kept fouling for no reason. And I, I, I don't want to be that fan. I don't want to be the conspiracy guy fan. But some of these calls we don't. Yeah, get. I, I'm. I'm trying. I, you know, I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be uh, a little bit uh, more. Uh, I would say even keel with the whole calling for foul calling. But mm-hmm. when I look at these calls, I'm just like, that was a foul, and they don't call it. And then the Knicks do it to foul. I don't understand this. Like they, they hate the Knicks or something. And I, I say it. I, it's the two things I pointed out when we were on the phone with um, Tina Savasio. Yeah. Two things that two things that get me every time when it comes to talking about the Knicks teams, right? Number one, I've been a Knicks fan my whole life. Ever since the clearing of the bench, the brawl that they had. Oh yeah. Um, I think it was even the Miami. The Miami playoff game. Right? Ever since that, we've been foul prone. Now, even if you take the last few teams. Of the last 10 years or so, last 5 or 10 years, foul, foul, foul. We can't stop fouling. We're fouling, fouling. So you're telling me new coach, new players, new systems, new GMs, we still can't get, like, are you expect me to believe that this group is as dysfunctional when it comes to fouling people as the group that came before it? Like, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that and you wonder why the players are getting so frustrated is because they're coming from other teams. They come to us and they know that what they were doing on the last team, this was proper defense. And now all of a sudden it's foul. Yeah. And the other part of that is what I say to people when they say the Knicks don't play defense. Like, I get that. I see our, our defensive soft as tissue. Right. But at the same time, if you can't put a hand on somebody without getting a call, that disrupts your confidence. That disrupts your rhythm. You you're not going to be able to play competent defense if you think every time you touch this guy, you're going to get a call. And meanwhile, the other team sees that they're getting calls and getting away with stuff. Mm-hmm. So of course they get more confident. Of course the Pelicans start marching into the paint because they now they can push off and it's no problem. Now they can get the space. It's no problem. Now he can reach around Derrick Rose and slap the ball and it's it, you know it's not a reach and foul and it's yeah. fine and now you can you know push off on Porzingis and elbow somebody in the neck and and the ref's not going to call it. So of course your confidence builds as a sucky team. You're hitting the, now now you're hitting everything under the sun and you know that if they touch you they're going to get a call and you're going to the line. And you see Melo frustrated, you see Rose frustrated because of these calls. And you see Melo ejected for like all, I don't know, every game it was like he's always ejected except yesterday. But you know, in the Pelican game, he was ejected. He didn't. He said he was gonna get ejected anymore. Hopefully that 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 happens. But he's being, he's leading the league right now and getting ejected. I think it's three times already this season he got ejected. I, I think eventually you got to start looking at why the Knicks players are so frustrated when it comes to calls. I think you need it. After this many different teams and this many different players and we still have the exact same issue, are you still telling me every guy we get can't play defense? Every guy we get can't play defense without fouling? Yeah. All of them? Every guy. We got dudes from all different other teams here. All of them. None of them can play defense without fouling. Meanwhile, other teams just march to the line. They get anything they want. And, and get whatever. You telling me that's not something? Like, I'm, I'm bugging? It's a little suspicious. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I, I, like I said, I see all these calls that the Knicks get, and then when they when they try to play defense, they get a call, and they start complaining, of course. But when they do that to them, 
they don't get anything, and then they again they complain again. And they get like a technical and they foul. Get a technical. Yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm pointing that out as as a fan, but also as just a basketball observer. You know, when you have Celtics fans telling me, "Yo, Melo better not go in there. He's not gonna get a call." I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, because they're playing physical, and all they do is just you know push him and bruise him up, and then and then he has to get a call early to get his his uh, headband off, and that's basically he has to get a call like that. I don't he understand runs down that. The pointing at his headband, yeah. which is now over one eye. Like, okay, you telling me you didn't touch me? Like, are you seeing this? Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't understand that. Like, and, and the Celtics they, they they play physical defense, but when when they do it against them, when they did it against the Cavaliers, for instance, the Cavaliers get all these calls, then the Celtics start complaining and all this and that. But they're like pushing literally all the time. And they don't get anything. You see, LeBron got the nerve to be complaining about the yeah. officiating. Like, yeah, I don't understand that. Like, bro. like, why is he complaining about calls when you know that literally you always push people when you drive to the basket? Like eighty percent of the time, he nah, double dribble. Travel like crazy. I know he travels every time that he gets the ball. Never stays still. Exactly. I'm just like, why are you complaining about all these calls? And you understand something? You're a big player. So that's why it's hard for referees to officially because you're literally the one who's doing the contact and I was not say the calls and everything. I don't get that. You get a call every time you get to the, every time you go to the rim. Yeah. They, it's a foul. Somebody tries it, they go straight up foul. Foul. They're outside of the, they're outside of the circle. Foul. Like it doesn't matter. And you, you push people it. literally. He literally pushes people. Yeah. And he, okay. and that's like, oh, and then when he, and he gets called for offensive foul, he starts complaining. Like, are you kidding me? He literally pushed somebody hooks. off. Yeah, he'll hook, push off. I don't understand how he's complaining about I know. anything. I, I, I still have that flop in my head from when he was on the Miami Heat. <laughs> he backed into Tyson Chandler. Oh, it went like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was definitely neck. a flop. Bruh. The biggest he flop. the camera afterwards. Like, the, you deserve everything that happens to you after that. Yeah, I'm the, not a LeBron hater, but in that moment, I couldn't stand him. The biggest, he's the biggest of, uh, flopper like of all time. That's what he is. And I don't know. I don't get why he just keeps complaining. Because we all know. I mean, in my opinion, he's probably he's probably getting the, these lack of calls because he's almost like being, I guess, refereed by like Shaq or something. Like the Shaq, you know how Shaq is so big and he didn't get these calls and he started complaining Shaq too because he's right. like so strong and everything. Right. And he initiates the contact. So you look at LeBron, it's the same thing. And you look at guys like Carmelo. You look at guys that are just strong, and that's mm-hmm. why they don't get these calls. And that's why you see Melo complain most of the time too. Yeah, but you, we we get the officiating has to be better. But I don't want to let the Knicks off the hook because you see what it can be like when they actually play, when all of the deficiencies aren't clicking at the same time. I agree. Melo at the four, no at the five. Um, I would start Kuz. Over over uh, your man, that's Thomas. Yeah, I saw <laughs> Kuz over Thomas, um, but then again, I like the way Kuz gets down with um, Kylo Quinn. I like the chemistry those yeah. two have together. So you know, it's hit or miss. It is hit or miss, but you and you look at the season overall. I mean, look like the look, look, uh, Sunday they're gonna face to- Toronto Raptors. Then they're gonna face on the back to back the Hawks on Monday morning to King Junior Day. And then I believe they gotta face. I'm not mistaking. It's let's see. It's the it's the Raptors. It's the Hawks. It's one more tougher team they gotta face because they they're facing a lot of tough teams now. And remember, they're all these back to backs. So when you look at it from that standpoint, the team who just won yesterday, when he won in a back to back, which is the first time this season. Mm-hmm. So now they're one and seven on back to backs. But you look at it, they face the Raptors. The Hawks, and they go on the roll to the Celtics. Damn. Uh, yeah, and you know you're not gonna get any calls over there. Right. Every time they go over there, and then they face Washington Wizards on Thursday. Damn, yep. And then they face Great. the Suns on Saturday. I mean, like they should be able to beat the Suns. They, I don't know about the Raptors and Hawks. The Hawks have been playing better, so that's why th- these games are important right now because it's gonna make a break. The month, man. Like January, we were supposed to get a nice little cushion. Yeah. We weren't supposed to go lose nine out of ten. At all, we should we should we shouldn't even been in that because you know that January you see the dog days of of the the season where mm-hmm. everybody starts to everybody starts to uh you know suddenly not play not play basketball I mean not focus like you see LeBron on the West Coast trip the team uh, they were lost like two in a row already and, and the, you know they need more practice now he says and all that and you know January is a tough month to actually be focused but that's when the good teams start to play well and 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 we're really getting to February yeah, it's the same they, thing they hold they get that cushion under them. So they can make moves. We 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 got to figure it out. I mean, but listen, we play like we did last night. 
Then we have the chance. It's a new day. Yeah. Uh, honest, honest to God, it's a new day. Like if we can get the way we got it going last night, Derrick Rose doing what he did, Melo at the four, um, somebody else at the, you know, whoever at the five. I don't care, but just somebody who can, you know, Noah actually scoring points and looking for his own layup and getting his own dunk and cutting to the basket as opposed to just standing in and looking to pass all the time. If you become a threat, now you have now you 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 break down the defense. You can you know draw them in and kick out. Yeah. So they just gotta keep doing that, and, and then you gotta make a decision, Jeff Horsack, of what are you gonna do with starting lineup. You gonna keep it the way it is because you won a game. And if Porzingis doesn't play Sunday, I mean, then maybe it's another blessing in disguise. And then hopefully you uh, see it that that maybe this lineup is the only lineup they have in terms of scoring and also defense. I go with what we got, man. I, I like the way they played. Against, yeah. I like the way they played against the Bulls. I like everything Melo had to do. He was on it. I think the Philly game was a wake-up call. I'm hoping that it sticks. But I definitely know that they hated losing to Philadelphia by one point. Well, well, Melo, you see after the reaction they lost, he's like, are you kidding me? And all, yeah, you know, he like, cursed it out and all that. Yeah, like, that's how you know they're frustrated about that. buzzer beaters got to kill you, but I, I know they hated that. And I'm hoping, hoping that that's just yeah. that, they, that was the kick in the pants they needed. Yeah, hopefully. And we'll certainly see that. And as uh, the season goes on, hopefully the Knicks start to win and go on these winning streaks and start to get climb up in the Eastern Conference and get back into at least a four or fifth seed. Where are we now? Right now, they are, I believe, in... Eight or nine. I think they're... No, nah, I, I, I think maybe they went up after they won yesterday because I know before they were they were around the 11th spot. But unless some teams lost yesterday... Because the thing about Eastern Conference is that you see all these teams that are like, you know, up. it's like up and down because they're literally like one game back of the AFC and this and that. And it's like, wow, how close can you be? But right now, they are the 10th spot. And they're only, uh, I believe... Two games back of Washington Wizards for the AFC, and Washington just got to five hundred. Yeah, they just got to five hundred, and By you know, the yeah, and they've been up and down too. And the Pacers have been up and down. The Hornets, like all these teams, have been up and down. So literally, the Knicks go on the winning streak, they can actually get back in 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 the standings. But then they go on a losing streak, then they'll be back down. Right. So it's like they got to find a way to be on these winning streaks. They then maybe take one loss and then go back on another winning streak. That's the only way they're going to be consistent, at least in the fourth or fifth seed. Stay with what they did yesterday. Somebody please talk to Brandon Jennings and tell him stop passing on wide open layups. I know he's one of the smallest dudes on the court, but you cannot be afraid of getting your shot blocked. Please, yeah. please start going. And stop kicking out when you got it right there. Because yep. you're not a threat to score. Nobody's worried about you. It's like 5-1-4 out there. You're just passing the ball. Please tell this dude to start taking it to the hoop and, and scoring. He had a fifty-point game. Don't, I, I just don't understand can't. Jennings. Like his shot is so, it's so two K like his shot, and it's also so street like at the same time. But then why is it that he struggles to get it off and, and actually make shots? Because he, it looks like he's hot dogging every time. Yeah. Like I don't know why he don't, doesn't I, get the open, but he's not a threat. That's why teams are playing him off. Right. I just see him as um I see him pass up wide open layups. It just kills. It's almost like he's a he's night. almost like he's a Rondo, except that you just really can't shoot at all right now. Right, but Rondo will take it in. Yeah, he literally take it in and actually try to get layup and all that stuff. And he's also a little pest right now because you see all the problems now he has with the Bulls. Now he's playing off the bench now because he's mm-hmm. disrespecting assistant coaches and all that. But you know, James doesn't do that. He just James just wants to win games and do whatever it takes. And I remember when when the they're getting blown up by the Pelicans, he started doing uh, drawing. Uh, it plays on the on the coaching yeah, board right. like like he's literally trying to figure out what's wrong with the team and everything. Right. That's how bad it is. Mark of a future coach right there. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So. Uh, my yeah, well, yeah, I'm like I said, we'll figure out as the season goes by. Hopefully, they go on the winning streak and then and then all this can go away and then then we'll see. Maybe they'll do a trade possibly for somebody else. Hopefully, it's not for picks, though, but it'll be somebody else. I don't know who else we can get out. Uh, people have been talking about trading Derrick Rose. <laughs> yeah, I got to trade Derrick Rose. Rid of Derrick Rose. But my whole thing is if you get rid of him, who's coming in? It's not, not I gotta tra- yeah, I got to trade Derrick Rose. I mean, but who you got? Like, if, if that's the choice, if that's if that's what you're going to do, if you're calling for Derrick Rose to be gone, what are you planning on getting back? 
there are no point guards out here who we can actually get a hold of. People keep talking about Steph Curry and CP3 being up. They're yeah, they're not, not going to leave. They're not leaving. Curry, especially Curry with that contract with that CBA, he ain't leaving, man. No, he's not. He's yeah, he's not, not leaving. going anywhere. CP3's not coming over. He's not leaving where he is to come over here and try and put this together, even though Melo is one of his best. Although, players. although I, I, the only reason why I say CP3 could come here, only depending on the Clippers situation, they don't go anywhere. I don't think he wants to stay here for another year, knowing that they're probably going to trade Blake Griffin and go somewhere else or because griffin's a free agent too he might leave somewhere else so the way i see it uh if cp3 will only come here as if griffin leaves and the other pieces are gone that's the only way i could see it but that because remember rose free agent so anyway if they don't sign rose and cp3 wants to come here and he signs here then you know maybe it's better in the point guard position in terms of leadership and in terms of uh defense in terms of uh setting up plays for everybody making porzingis better I, I could see that scenario, but that's only if, if the Clippers don't go anywhere this year at all. Like, they get bounced out in the first round. I could see the whole thing blowing up and then CP3 going somewhere that, else. That, that, that's, a, that's a far. I know. It's a long, I, know it, I don't think it, it's going to happen. But And then yeah. you have to take into account the fact that there are actually other teams out there that yeah. he could probably end up with mm-hmm. and be, like, the guy. Like, imagine if the Spurs made him an offer. <laughs> I don't think he will say no to that. <laughs> I wouldn't say no to that, and I can't play. He play Kawhi Leonard and Lamarcus Aldridge, and, he, and and that team is stacked already. So it's like, and you playing with the best coach in the NBA. And I one mean, of the greatest organizations in the history of the league. But he likes the LA uh, environment. He likes the LA uh, he ain't that far. life. <laughs> he ain't that far. It's Texas, bro. You're not that far. I'm just curious to see what would happen though if if, if David Stern didn't veto that trade. And CP3 went to the Lakers. Lakers I don't know how the Lakers would have. Lakers probably would have won another title for all we know. I mean, Kobe? Yeah. Kobe still had some years yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was like a good couple of years left with CP3. Probably would have won like maybe one more title. And then CP3 would have been the leader of that, that organization with other pieces coming along. So it would have been perfect. So. so we got a little bit of time here. Uh, talk about the NFL Divisional Round weekend. I mean, you've seen these four matchups after last weekend and the debacle of games that have been blowing blowouts basically uh, until the Giants game, even though the Giants hanging there until the third quarter and then, you know, Rodgers just did his thing Odell, and started... Odell yeah. missing those passes. Man. The Hill he Mary. He, he, I think two of those would have been touchdowns for Yeah, for, for sure. Odell, for absolutely sure. Absolutely had he not dropped those. We had two, at least two touchdowns. The, Rogers Hill Mary, I mean, so at some point, this isn't luck anymore. At some point, this is just skill right now, yeah, what he's doing. Yeah. Like, these are throws that are just on point. <laughs> it's, like, it's only luck <laughs> for somebody else. Yeah, for, for somebody else. But for him, it's, this is like an everyday thing now. But, uh, yeah, going to these matchups, you know, you got Atlanta, Seattle... Who you got in that? Cause I, Seattle. I, I, you, you got Seattle, even though they're banged up? I, I think they're going to pull it off. I don't know. I think the uh, Falcons are playing at home. This is the second time they're facing each other. And speaking of which, all these matchups, everybody's facing each other for a second time, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think I got the Falcons in this one only because they're playing at home. They have a high power offense. They're not just throwing it at people. They're also running the ball well. I think the defense is playing at, at a much higher level than before. The defense is better. Defense. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're not, uh, you know what? I'm going to stick with Seattle. I don't really. I, I, was, you, I don't make a choice with Seattle only because they're experienced and they've been there and done that. That's, that's, that's one I'm, thing. That's where I'm going for. And the it. Falcons, they haven't been really successful in the playoffs. When you get to the big dances, it's, it's yeah. turning into something different. Yeah, and completely that different. experience becomes a different animal, which is why. But, but if the Hawks take it, I won't be shocked. Let's say it like that. I don't. First of all, I don't have a dog in this fight. The Giants are out of it. Yeah. I don't really have a dog in this fight. So this is all entertainment. So you got Seattle, though? But I'm, I'm going to rock with Seattle. I think they'll pull it off. I'm going to take that last fight. I think it's going to be a close game, I think. They, but they're going to win it out, and they're going to go into the next round. Hopefully, it's either the, whoever it's the uh, Packers or Cowboys at the time. But we'll get into those picks as well. But now we got Texans and Patriots. I mean, Patriots are 16-point favorites yeah. for a reason. I mean, you know what's gonna? You know what'd be funny though? We all pick the Patriots and the Texans win, and then it'll be like, "Oh my god!" I'd, I'd really like poop my pants if that. I, I just don't see it. I just don't see. I'll it. be laughing if the Patriots lose and the Texans. Tom Brady would need to have an aneurysm. <laughs> like, have a heart attack. Yeah, You're like what? Have to have like one. He'd be tired on the spot. Tied I'm done. Behind his back. I'm retired from the game because of this, this buckle loss. Like, I, don't, I don't see it. He'd be like, I'm retired from the game because of this, this disgusting loss. And then <laughs> Belichick, Belichick retires too. It's over. And, oh, my God. Nah, the, you actually got to win this game. I mean, come on. It's a runaway game. Golden State's not losing to 
to Philly. Yeah, I mean, come on. I'm going to say this is the Philly. That'll be the worst loss ever. Because, uh, uh, so, yeah, patient. If they lost by one point, it'd still be like, uh, yeah, yeah. How'd you, uh. Yeah, and so the Patriots, I got Patriots. You got Patriots. I, I mean, there's no, there's no reason to talk about that. Uh, we got this. I, I think the Texans have the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> they're like, you know what? They got the Patriots too. You know, we can't we, win we this game. So we got the Steelers and Chiefs on Sunday. And, you know, it's an interesting matchup because Ben Robertsburg, he injured his uh, foot during right. the Dolphins game. Mm-hmm. And the Chiefs, you know, at, at home, they're at Arrowhead Stadium, that's really hard to play in because it's one of the loudest stadiums in the, in the NFL. And they're, they're a very well-rounded team, I would say. You know, they play defense really well. They got a quarterback who, who reminds me of Chad Pennington with the Jets that just makes plays, is accurate with the ball and quick decision and all that. And you got, like, explosive bunch of players uh, and you know it's interesting to see but i i think the chiefs i think can pull it out well the chiefs are here for a reason yeah i I mean it's a good team yeah i'm not disrespecting them at all yeah but i don't bet against big ben yeah that's the only thing because he's out of that he's out of the boot he says he's fine if he's telling the truth which i think first of all he's tougher than a coffin nail yeah and he's huge so you know the idea of tackling him right off the bat probably i i I don't bet against big ben i'm not betting against um Big Ben, and he's been here before. He's not, he's not shook by loud stadiums. He's not shook by the moment, and he doesn't care about the last play. He's got that like that flatliner thing. Yeah. That Eli has, like you know, he's just no conscious. Whatever happens, happens. But here we go again. Mm-hmm. And so you know, and they're here for a reason. So I'm not betting against Ben. Yeah, and also that big three. I mean, you got Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown. If they all play at a high level, as we know, we know we all Which know that could shoot. Yeah, been they so. could do that. Then it'd be a different game. But I got the Chiefs. You got the Steelers. For sure, you got the Steelers. I'm gonna ride. Yeah, right. I'm ride. So I told you, man. It's all entertainment yeah, to me at this point. Yeah, it, it is. Matters at, at this point. And of course, we got the matchup probably of the week of the weekend. Uh, the Packers and the Cowboys. It could have been the Giants and Cowboys, but you know it's the Packers. Well, with the Pack, they beat us. I'm, I'm, I'm convincingly to beat you guys right. after the second half was started. I'm looking for them to continue. With, like he's on fire right now. Like he's in rhythm. It's not just that he's just making throws. He's in rhythm. That's what's scary have, about it. I don't it. have any shame losing to a team that goes on to win the Super Bowl. I think that's like the best defense that you can have if your team lost to the guys who eventually take the whole thing. Yeah. And Aaron, ever since he said, we're going to run the table, they've been running the table. Mm-hmm. He's, like you said, he's on, He's and, and Aaron's one of the best quarterbacks, like, ever. 19 touchdowns, no interceptions, as he said that. Bruh. He's on fire right now. He's, he's, he's and I don't think, you know, for all the swag that Dak and and, and Elliott and, Elliot and, and all that. But they have no defense, though. They have no defense. Exactly. And you can't not have a defense against with that a dude guy who's playing like this. He's out of his mind. That Hail Mary. Yeah. Like you said, after a minute, you have to stop thinking it's luck. After a minute, it's skill, man. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> like, and that's, it's, that's, that's scary. And he's in the scary in the pocket. Like, the way he moved around that giant game where he, he, he made that throw for a touchdown, he was really, like, one second, two seconds, and he just threw it back and forth. And he made the throw just, like, like you. it's really hard to stop calmly, this guy. Yeah, calmly, calmly yeah. It wasn't like he was winging it up and just whatever happened. It didn't look Tebow-ish. Yeah. Super calm. It's just, and he, and, and he also, he did it without Jordy Nelson, which is the best receiver, and he's making these throws, and it's just like, at some point, you got to give respect to him, and I, I, I'm saying, I got the Packers in this game, and it, it's, I think they're going to win this convincingly, I think, in my opinion, on the road. I'm on your side. I don't think the Cowboys, I think I think they're not at that, that point where we can call them like, oh, they're Super Bowl because of the record. I think they need to experience defeat and learn from it and then just bounce back. I don't know if they have a great season that we'll have this year or the next season, but they just got to – they're not going to face – I don't think they're going to win against a guy who's really on fire right now. So I mean, I'll be a shocker if Rodgers just has a bad game. And in a, in a stadium where there's probably no sunlight or no cold or nothing at all, so he's going right. to make all these comfortable, throws. Comfortable yeah, comfortable. For yeah, so I have, I have no – I just don't see it. I don't mm-hmm. see him losing it. Mm-mm. I'll be I mean, shocker though. Shout out, shout out to I, I like what Dak did. I yeah. think it's amazing. I, I respect his run. I even respected his game. Like, yeah, I really did. And I respect his leadership too with, with the team and, and what he's done in his first year. But, but this, this is Rogers, this man. This is Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Aaron freaking Rogers here. Like after a minute you have to kind of 
recognize and slow your role. Physically, he, he's probably the best quarterback you've ever seen physically. Yeah, like, the not. throws and the, the the running and all that. He's just, I've he never does, seen I, a better QB. I've never, me personally watching, I've never seen a better, more consistent, high-level quarterback after all this time than Aaron Rodgers. You know, his touchdown interception ratio is above a three. It's like a three-to-one, I believe, his career. And the average is like a two. Like, it's just, that's how crazy it is. He's, he's yeah. like Floyd Mayweather right there. <laughs> like, I just don't see it. I mean, he, he ended the season with 40 touchdowns and seven interceptions. And even before the running the table, he had 22 and seven. And then when he ran the table, it just, he just finished it with 40 touchdowns then. He's flatlining. I know. He's it's insane. Like you said, he's in his own. Yeah. So, you know, that's our picks for the NFL Divisional Round Weekend. You know, that's going to do it for today's show. You can follow us on Slam City at Slapsing on Score360 on Twitter and on our Facebook page. You can follow me at Morinus10 and at. I'll be at MRMECC, Mr. Mac, Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and everything else fun. And you can follow the big Dunk360 website at the Dunk360 because there can only be one. See you next week. Peace.